Oh, you do the Tony Mowbray. Oh, you do the Tony Mowbray. Oh, you do the Tony Mowbray. I'm up, flag up, you're offside. Steadied out. Norwich trying to break away. Mark Brennan picks it up. Looks, squares it to Mowbray. Mowbray has a touch. Oh, he doesn't have a touch. He just rifles it right in the top stance. <laughs> Jesus, what a goal. Jesus. Anybody want a slither of chocolate? Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast. Our fling with Alex Neal was short and sweet, but ultimately he's broken up with us via text and we are on the rebound with a far more experienced fella from Saltburn who we're hoping can be our knight in shining armour. It does sound a little bit like a Tinder bio, that introduction, and I promise that'll be the end of it as I welcome the Lancashire Telegraph's Blackburn writer, Rich Sharp, to the show. Rich, how are you doing? Are you okay? Not too bad at all, thank you. Not too bad at all. Fantastic. Hoping you're going to give us some good news on Tony Mowbray here, but you are here. Basically, give us a lowdown on the time uh, Tony Mowbray had at Blackburn. Obviously, he's had more than just the one job, but I think his longest time was at Blackburn and also his most recent time. So I think as I attested sort of in the intro, probably by the time this is released, I think he's going to be confirmed. Sonnet have turned to the former Blackburn manager in their hour of need. It's been a really quick appointment after Alex Neal's move to Stoke, which was a little bit different to what we had in February. But what are your initial thoughts as someone who's obviously covered Blackburn on, on Mowbray's move to Sunderland? I mean, obviously, um, everything that I'm going to say is from an outsider looking in. Um, it seems a good fit in terms of, I think, where Sunderland find themselves now is probably where Rovers were in 2018. Um, so Mowbray took over with 15 games to go. Uh, in the 2016-17 season with Rovers in the bottom four. Uh, they took 22 points from 15 games, but ultimately 51 points, which normally would be enough to keep you up, didn't. Um, they then got promoted at the first time of asking, which I think everyone at the time probably saw as, you know, quite straightforward for a club of Rovers' size. But you look at teams that have struggled to do that out of, out of League One. Um, while probably Rovers got the easier end of League One then than it is now, I think that was a... A really good achievement to get them straight back up. And then, like I said, the, where they found themselves in 2018 was looking to stabilise themselves and establish themselves back in the Championship, which I think is, from an outsider's point of view, while they've started well, is probably where Sunderland are looking looking to do. Uh, from Mowbray's point of view, when he left Rovers, he always said that his intention was to go back into management and that he was looking for a club that he thought was aspirational and could reach his ambitions, which while he is 58, he's still got ambitions of getting back to the championship. So purely from an outsider's point of view, I think it seems a, seems a good fit. Perfect. Sounds good to me so far. Um, in the, the most blunt way possible, obviously I'm aware it's hard to um, contextualise what a manager is in a really short, snappy paragraph. But, but what kind of manager are we getting on the surface in Tony Mowbray? I think you're getting Mowbray the manager and Mowbray the bloke as one. Um, honest, principled, hardworking um, is from a steel town background, obviously from where he's brought up on T side. So he gets he gets that element of it, and that's what he got through with Rovers. I think was that hard work was number one. Um, and I think the thing with Mowbray's he's gone on during his Rovers time. There was obviously different versions. When you're there for five and a half years, you have different you know frameworks of teams. So he went through the the working off Danny Graham and Bradley Dyke. We had the possession based style. We had last years where 
they were bottom for the possession stats and look to prey on the break. So I think he's a manager who will look look at his squad and what's available and look to utilise the assets of um, uh, of those that are available. In terms of style of play, obviously it's hugely important. I think um, Alex Neal was kind of different per game. He would go not to, to worry about the other, the other teams, but sometimes he would, you know, be aware of how his team needed to play to come up against um, whoever we were facing. And to be honest, in most of all the games, he only lost two in that 21. That sort of worked. But what kind of style of play is Tony Mowbray? Is he one size fits all, if that makes sense? Or does he kind of change things up a little bit? Yeah, I think potentially one of the criticisms of Rovers fans about Moba was that he focused too much on the opposition. So you'd quite often get a team that, you know, came out of the blue with players, you know, recalled or the system had changed, you know, but depending on the opposition, I think that was something that he looked quite a lot into the opposition. Um, but as I said before, I think obviously everyone remembers his West Brom team where they scored all those goals to get promoted from the championship. And, you know, it was the defensive side that was probably called into question a bit and he was, he was too attacking. But like I said, with Rovers, he probably has his football ideals where he would like a team to dominate the ball. I think he sees that, you know, the team's, that have done well in the championship tends to be the ones that dominate the ball. But Rovers went from in 2021, 2020-21 season, they had the second most possession in the league behind Norwich. Whereas last year, I think only Birmingham had less than them. So within, you know, like a, a one season, really, they, they completely changed. And that was just based on, on the personnel that, uh, that he had available, really. So I think while ideally it would like to be possession-based team, I think he'll go in there and look at the squad and work out you know, the assets and the qualities of the squad and, and look to work around them really and settle on a playing style that way. Looking at the the sort of comments from people, the, the word genuinely very positive from, from Blackburn fans, if not like 100% positive, they were at worst, yes, he's great, but, but this is the situation and this is why he's no longer here. He spent longer at Blackburn, as I said in the intro, than any other club he's been at in his career. I think he was close to 300 games, give or take. How was he remembered by Blackburn fans? I know it's quite recent that he left, but you know, how was he remembered? Yeah, I think everyone will always look back on um, his tenure. And one of Mowbray's um, standout lines, which he'll probably say when he takes over at Sunderland, is he wants to leave a club in a better state than he arrived. And I don't think anybody, even his staunchest critics, could argue that Blackburn Rovers were in a better position when Tony Mowbray left Blackburn Rovers than the one that he found them in. Um, is a manager who will manage for the long term. He used to say, I'll manage as if I'm here forever, even though he knows that's not the case. So while when he first took over, obviously the 15 games were trying to do everything to keep them up, it was obviously already in mind in his head that he's got um, he's, he's got long-term vision and long-term plans. So I think towards the end, it got a bit messy with how his departure came about. Um, the obviously several... Um, seasons in a row where the seasons just faded away uh, from the position that they found themselves in at Christmas. Um, so I, I think the time was probably right in everybody's mind for a change, but that wasn't to say that, um, you, you know, anybody wished, you know, like desperate to see him leave. I think it just seemed to be the, the natural time where his contract was coming to an end and and that was uh, just the way that things played out. I think how it did probably wasn't the best. But um, yeah, I think certainly everybody had looked back on his tenure with uh, with fond memories of, of what he did for the club and given him a platform to look to uh, to kick on. I read obviously a lot of the comments as you do because um, I'll openly admit he wouldn't have been my first choice, but maybe that's because I'm a romanticist and I look for the glamour and Tony Mowbray is probably not the glamour. Um, 
But a lot of the comments were really positive, like I say, but one of the ones that kept popping up came along tactics. Um, some people made reference to lack of plan B and that was really very stubborn. How close to the truth are, are those comments? I'm not, stubborn and loyalty are probably quite close in that term in that I think he's quite loyal to, you know, players who, who he likes. So last year he went with a back three uh, in November and Rovers just went on an unbelievable run. I think they won seven and drew one out of eight and that really catapulted him into automatic promotion contention. Um, there was no no expectation for him to be where they found themselves in at the turn of the year. Uh, but probably when things, you know, started going against him, um, did, did he change away from that? Probably not. But then he was loyal to the players who'd got him in that position. Uh, but equally, I think he went into the League One season thinking they could pass their way out of it and defeats to Southend and Doncaster in the first two, he realised that wasn't going to be the case. So he was willing to, to change that. And like I said, the, the season of the, behind closed doors where they were all about possession, 60-70% possession, that's probably where some people could label that you know he was too focused on possession than, than anything else. But equally, the following season, he changed everything up and they went to be a a counter-attacking team. So I can see where the point's making, but there's certainly arguments to suggest uh, suggest the opposite. He brought in, obviously, probably Sunderland's worst ever striker um, or up there with, with Danny Graham. And I think when we got Danny Graham back the second time, obviously it didn't work, but you've seen a lot of comments again from Blackburn fans that absolutely loved him. Um, really, really praised his, his, his work rate. And I think he scored 12 to sort of 15 goals under Tony Mowbray. How likely are we to see him develop players that maybe are, um, I wouldn't say performing badly, but players that, you know, maybe we hadn't rated that highly before. How good is he at developing players and and, and the likes of Danny Graham? Why was he so good at making Danny Graham as, as good as he was for Blackburn? But potentially that he had a bit of um, a relationship with Dan where it was uh, the start of the league one season. Like I said, they were trying to play this possession football and I think trying to move away from Danny. Uh, and then I think he just struck up a partnership with Bradley Dack. And I think that was the key for for Graham, that him and Dack just worked together. Um, so I think Mowbray certainly sees him as a coach that they've, they've instilled things at the training grounds. You know, they brought in a player development coach to work with um, uh, young players. But equally, Blackburn is very focused on the academy. So there was probably five regular starters from the academy um, coming through. So there was that element as well. Um, and the makeup of the squad changed all the time. Um, they relied quite a lot on loanees. A lot of experienced players kind of drifted away. So it's really looking at the makeup of the squad, I think. And um, he'll probably see people that he likes uh, and wants to potentially give a chance to. So I'd certainly think if you know, you're frozen out as a player right now or can't see yourself getting many chances that... Mowbray will certainly go in there and have a look at the squad and, and see what's see what's available and how he wants to play and you know look to fit them into to what he wants to do. I think obviously that the big thing and I think probably one of the reasons he has been appointed is the way Sunderland operate at the moment under Speakman and um, Louis Dreyfus is whether we like it or not um, bringing in young talented players under the age of twenty four trying to develop them to a standard that will either a really improve us improve the team or, or b we can move on for significant fees. That was obviously allegedly something that Alex Neal and, and maybe Speakman uh, didn't necessarily come together on in, in many ways because I think Alex Neal wanted 
a few experienced heads. Obviously, that hasn't happened. We have this plan. We have this way that we work, and that's not going to change, as we can evident, evidently tell. Tony Mowbray has been spoke about a lot as developing sort of youth at Blackburn. I think, obviously, that we've been linked to um, Hecker from, from Blackburn. That was seen as one of the real success stories that he had, and, and Mowbray is seen as someone who can develop that really well. From your experience of uh, Mowbray at Blackburn, how well does Tony Mowbray fit into the Sunderland mould and, and Sunderland's remit and plan? That sounds like, um, you know, similar to Rovers, where when they got promoted in 2018, they spent eight million, I think, that summer. Spent six million on Brereton and 1.75 million on Armstrong the year after they bought Sam Gallagher for five million. And then really since then, it's been, you know, loans and, and free transfers really that um, the club's gone down. You could argue that they bought Armstrong for 1.75, sold him for 15 million plus add-ons to 20. Brereton could go before the transfer window while it technically took him a while from a six million pound kid. You know, that they're looking for, for big money for him now. So I think that's certainly the way that clubs are going to have to go to try and compete with the parachute teams. I think Mowbray looks at Brentford and you know their model of, of buying, selling, and player trading. They never quite got that right at Rovers in terms of you know they were buying and you know the selling aspect wasn't that great. Um, they lost three players on free transfers in the summer who you know could have if they'd have cashed in on them probably made ten million quid between them. So. He's had he's had experience of that within you know Venkis and what what they're doing. I think, but equal, I think it's the model of a lot of clubs. You know, you're saying buy, develop, and sell. It, it's not rocket science. It's what a lot of what a lot, lot are looking to do. And like I said, he's got the very recent experience of um, of doing with that that with Rovers, and he'll, he'll certainly know what to, what he's walking into. I'm sure. In that sense, with that being our remit and obviously really strongly our remit, I don't think, again, like I say, whether a fan likes it or, or loves it or, or hates it or despises the idea of, of just producing players under the age of 24, that's what our model is and I don't think we're going to budge on that. With that in mind, is it kind of even less surprising that Tony Mowbray has been appointed so quick with obviously what he did at Blackburn then? Yeah, it fits even more that, I mean... What, this season before last, where they had Harvey Elliott, who was 17, they brought Jared Branthwaite and Harwood Bellison on loan, 18 and 19. Young players from the academy getting chances at early 20s. They were always, you know, a very young side. Um, because they moved away from, you know, it was probably the, the Rovers 2.0, as you call them, where initially it took over with Mulgrew, uh, Elliot Bennett, Danny Graham. Uh, you know, really experienced players and before long became John Buckley, Ryan Nambi, Daryl Lennon, you know, players in their early to mid-twenties, Brereton as well. So it, it certainly seems that, uh, you know, he's got experience of what, what he's walking into. So again, it just seems like it fits. And he also is very close with, uh, you know, Sunderland's head of recruitment, Stuart Harvey, was somebody, um, Mowbray was big on the recruitment department and making sure that, yeah, I think basically when he first took over at Rovers, he felt there wasn't the, the right recruitment department in place. A lot of the players that he signed were just based on, you know, who he knew. Um, and slowly but surely they've tried to implement, you know, an infrastructure behind the scenes of which Stu Harvey was was key to that and um, obviously left to go to Sunderland. So that there is there is the link there. I was going to say that that was literally my next question. Actually, you talked about um, Stu Harvey there, who's obviously been with us a little while. And again, probably another big reason that Mowbray was here. I assume the fact that they're happy to kind of link up again means the marriage at Blackburn basically blossomed until he went to, to, to until he came to Sunderland, sorry. 
Yeah, I think Moby basically said he'd got an offer that he couldn't refuse. So I think he looked at it and saw, you know, he, he understood it where a lot of people thought, you know, leaving uh, something that he'd established so well to go to Sunderland, you know, was maybe strange to some people. But I think he went, you know, it was very much understood from Mowbray why why he'd done that. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously a, a relationship there as well. So um, I don't really know the involvement of Stu, you know, behind the scenes of how much, you know, his role played in that kind of thing, but I certainly wouldn't think that you know he his, his stay was was final or anything like that. But he'll, he'll certainly be coming into to work with a guy who he worked very closely and very well with during his time at Rovers. Touched on obviously the the boy from Brighton who we're still linked to. I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately, but obviously has been linked. He was Blackburn's Player of the Year last year, I think. You touched on Harvey Elliott, who was seen scored a brilliant goal at the weekend and is now in Liverpool's first team. How likely are we to see with Tony Mowbray and his connections he has towards the end of the transfer window some good young Premier League players that want to get game time? I'd say Mowbray's success rate in a low market is probably the you know one of his best features. Looking back through his recruitment at, at Rovers, um, Tosin Adarabayo, Howard Bellis, Elliot. Um, there's not been many duds that they've signed. Um, um, like you said, it, it focused really with, within the club's model that loans were seen as, as key. Um, so, yeah, I think Rovers have obviously developed a really good relationship with certain clubs. Liverpool, they've, they've got a lad on loan from Liverpool for the third successive year, of which Mowbray's been key to that. So, yes, I can certainly th- see him utilising those um, those contacts that he's gone to to dip into the loan market, which is becoming increasingly important for uh, for every championship club at the minute. Absolutely. Um, especially for us, we definitely need about four or five bodies in. So I hope he's got five or six plans, truth be told. Um, but I think, you know, obviously you can't just entire person's character on press conferences and interviews, but obviously I'm assuming you had interactions with, with Tony Mowbray in your job role. From what you have come across, what kind of character are we getting? Because character is massive at Sunderland, I think. You know, Alex Neal fitted the same sort of character profile as Peter Reid, as Sam Allardyce, straight talking, you know, no BS kind of manager. What kind of character would we be getting in Tony Mowbray on the, on the face of it? Yeah, I think you'll get that. So, I mean, I, I've i been in this job coming up uh, six years. So for the vast majority of my time uh, doing the job, Mowbray, Mowbray has been the manager. Um, sat through hundreds of press conferences and probably missed two two or three of his matches. So he's not somebody who'll, um, you know, he's like he's not a social media guy. He doesn't like get involved in that kind of kind of things. But he's, he speaks openly and honestly, and, and speaks how he sees it. And I think that's why it's good that you know somebody in the game you know needs something like this. He'll be. He's normally fairly open with everything, willing to speak. He'll, you know, he'll really go into detail um, in everything that he does. And but he is quite, you know, forthright in that, you know, if if he feels something, he'll say it. He'll not be one to, you know, keep anything to himself. Um, so, like you say, when it was all happening with his contract this year, he'd speak very, very openly about that situation and, you know, what he thinks the club should do. So. Yeah, I think you'll certainly get somebody very forthright in his in his views, but but very honest. Um, most after games, you know, you'd certainly see when he spoke that you thought you'd seen the same game as the manager, which I think is is an important uh, important part of things. But equally, you know, I think people put a lot of emphasis on what managers say, and 
it's it's easy when it's going right and you know the manager says something then it's all around social media and everyone's absolutely loving it and then it's a lot more difficult you know when you're just stuck in mid-table looking for things to say and it, it I do think sometimes people put you know too much too much on that, um, but Mowbray certainly knows how to how to deal with the press. Obviously, he's been manager at Celtic, so that's obviously given him a, a fair understanding of how of how things can change, you know, the mood and and things like that. So he's not, uh, you know, he's he's well aware of uh, of what he'll be walking into. I'm sure on the on every front. Yeah, I, th- I think you touched on Celtic there. Obviously, it wasn't a successful time um, at Celtic Forum, but obviously it's a long, long, long time ago now in football terms. And I think if there's anywhere that's more pressurised than anywhere else in England, it probably is the old firm. And he, I think he'll definitely benefit from that experience, or at least he, he should have. Um, I think so. Final question is, is really basic. And obviously I'm, I'm asking you to look into a, a crystal ball here a little bit. And, and obviously I'm aware you can't do that. But I think most Sunderland fans would agree. If you'd asked us this time last week, do we want a new manager? The answer probably across the board would have been a strong no. But considering the position that we're in, considering what's happened and considering it's potentially something that's been out of our hands, we are without a manager. Do you ultimately feel that Tony Mowbray is the best option for Sunderland at this moment in time as our head coach? I think from, like I said, from the outside looking in of the position you find yourselves in, a few of the things you've said about the model of the club and where they're looking to go, yes, yes, I can see why it makes sense. Again, how well a manager will do, it's not always, you know, the ones that make the most sense that do the best. But um, I certainly think that things align in a way that would suggest that there is a reason why Sunderland have gone for him. The attraction for Mowbray is obvious that, is based up there. He said when he left Rovers that his intention was to go back into management. I think he's 58 now. So, you know, a few people were saying, oh, will he go, you know, into an upstairs role or whatever? But no, he, he was clear that he wanted a return to management. He wanted it with a club where he could see aspiration to get back into the Premier League. And I think it does just fit everything. I know fans would probably, you know, see other clubs and maybe want a younger progressive manager, but, I think Mowbray's shown, particularly in the way that he talks, he's a football nut. He, he studies football. He's you know he's up to, he's aware of all you know like the recent trends and things like that. Um, so I certainly don't think you know you're getting an old-fashioned manager in that sense that he's certainly willing to to adapt and change. So just looking at it from what I've known about him from Rovers, how he did there, the position Sunderland find themselves in, I know he's probably not the name that you know fans would want to think as. Mowbray will probably come in and say he's not the sexiest name. He's used that phrase before, but um, I think he's well aware of, of that as well. So, again, I can see why they're going for him. I can see why he wants it. And I just hope that it works out for him because he's a really good bloke and his heart's in the right place. And um, I hope he does well because, again, Sunderland's a club who everybody will, you know, look, look forward to going there and taking him on and the addition that they'll bring to the championship. So, yeah, from my point of view, I really hope he does, uh, he does well. Fantastic. Rich, I feel a lot more positive. I'm really pleased to got you on now because I wasn't feeling that positive before this conversation. <laughs> I think it was the same when, when he took over at Rovers, though. I mean, they got rid of Owen Coyle and then Mowbray was in a couple of days later. It was a bit like, wow, where's you know, where's this come from? Um, I guess and more with Sunderland, as you know, there's the Blackburn example to look forward to, whereas with Rovers, it, it'd been away from Coventry for like 18 months. So, um but it's all down to expectation. You know, if your expectations that he's going to walk in and take you into the top six and you know competing for automatic promotion, 
that's probably not what I'd expect. If you wanted a guy to come in, be a steady in hand, establish you back in the championship, bring players through, um, utilise the loan market well, I think that's what he did at Rome. As long as you know that's that's where your expectations are as a fan, then I can see you know why it fits. If you're looking for something different, then you know you're obviously going to have your own agendas, and it's for Mowbray to prove you wrong. Which I guess there'll be a lot of Sunderland fans out there who'll be waiting, you know, to just sitting and you know just seeing that what can Mowbray bring, and once he does it, then I'll, I'll form an opinion either way. So um, yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see it, to see how he does get on. A couple of boring years would be quite nice for Sunderland for once, but I have a feeling it's never, <laughs> ever going to be boring for Sunderland. Um, I, just on the off chance that there is, you know, uh, Blackburn fans listening to this, which there may well be, um, or any Sunderland fans that, that want to follow you, Rich, and obviously keep up to date with what you're doing in your, your day-to-day, where can they follow you? Uh, I'm at RichSharp89 on Twitter, um, and obviously the Lancashire Telegraph, uh, Lancashire Telegraph website. So, I think we're down for 18th of uh, October on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, I think, at Ewood and then Boxing Day at the Stadium of Light. So I'll be looking forward to uh, to catching up with uh, with Tony then. Fantastic. Rich, thank you so much for popping on, mate, and taking time out of your busy day and uh, making me feel a lot more positive. I couldn't have asked for more than that. So thank you very much. Thank you. Jesus. What do you want to slither a chocolate?